everyone, I'm Reverend Carla and welcome to Spirituality Matters, a podcast that focuses on the intersectionality of spirituality and humanity. Now let's settle in and find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let us be reminded that the Holy transcends our physical bodies and our time together is just as sacred and meaningful as if we were sitting beside one another. Okay, let's get started. I have the honor of interviewing one of my dearest friends, even though we have never met person to person. I think that's the beauty of social media, where I feel like when we do meet, we're going to be able to just to sit down and have tea or coffee or a glass of wine with each other for hours. And I'm looking forward to that day. I'm talking about Paul Swearingen, who is known as unconventional Pastor Paul. And he spends time asking questions of the American Christian church and culture that others might not feel free to express. He has a heart to connect people to their true value and purpose and to know there is no God in heaven that is mad at them. Now, I will also tell you that if you have not found Pastor Paul on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook, you are missing out, my friend. And now I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Paul and let him explain a little bit more about who he is and how he got to the place where we found each other in deconstructing uh, TikTok land. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, thank you, Rev. Carla. And yes, you you are one of my favorites. I always, I always fangirl a little bit when I'm on with you on Zoom. So, <laughs> oh, you're it, so sweet. It's my, my celeb meetup here. But yeah, I, I grew up in a in a very, very evangelical household. My dad was a, a pastor in the Assemblies of God, if you know that. It was a, a very strict Pentecostal denomination, uh, lots of t- speaking in tongues and uh, lots of rapture. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon, uh, you know, all of those things. So you just, you you grow up understanding that life is hard. God is mad at you. And, and all of those people out there who seem happy and enjoying life, well, they don't really know that one day they're going to be in hell and we're going to be in heaven, and we get to say, "Ha ha!" In your face, we win. And I and I used to think, as I remember thinking as a kid, like, but they seem pretty happy, and and those people out there, they seem like they love people more than we do. And it, I and I used to think, I wish I wish God would let us love people too. That would really be cool. Uh, but we can't, so I don't. And you know, every relationship was had this pressure of I've got to win them for the Lord. I can't be ashamed of Jesus in front of the world. And so it just made me a little bit of a small asshole as a kid, you know. <laughs> um, but I wanted to love people. and and so as i as I grew uh, into adulthood, I think I've told the story maybe even on your podcast before where I I stopped listening to Rush Limbaugh one day because I just found myself irritated and I'm like, why am I angry? And it's because Rush was getting me upset about somebody this morning. This is stupid. And so I'm like, wonder what happened if I would stop listening to Rush Limbaugh and all this stuff and was amazed at how the heart change that came about with that. And so I was going through this sort of political transformation at that time of the Bush administration and like, wow, we have this Christian president, but everything's not like lollipops and roses in the world. And and then I I, I was a, a TV and radio sportscaster who felt like I had a call to ministry in my life. So I started going through seminary biblical training. And when I started learning, say, for instance, how the canon was formed, our, our Protestant Bible, 
I was like, wait, this, this thing didn't just float down from heaven in a leather binding pinned by God uh, or in, uh, you know, written in stone, like men argued over which books should be in and which should be out. And we don't know for sure if we got them all right. And and there's this Corinthians letter that is referred to that we don't have. And I, you know, it, it, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, things aren't as clean and simple as I thought they were. And and so as I then I thought, well, maybe maybe we don't have everything right. And it really, I was always a, a pestering question asker, but then I really started asking questions and finding out, you know, not everybody believed in the rapture. Not everybody believed in the the virgin birth and, and still loved God and still had connected to something. And so all of that began to change my political and religious beliefs at the same time. Um, make a long story longer, then President Obama got elected. And I started looking around and saying, wow, we're kind of racist. Our politics are a little bit racist too. So anyway, all of that really led me into seriously asking questions about who we are. I pastored on in, you know, to, I was a senior pastor, started a church senior pastor for 10 years. All of these things started coming up, conspiracy theories, QAnon, and I'm trying to teach people, hey, our job is to change the world. Our job is not to get people saved to go to heaven one day, but like if God is in us, we are a, we are transformed to be transformers so that we're looking for the welfare of our city, as Jeremiah 29, 7 says. So my wife and I believe the measurables of our city should change. There should be less poverty. There should be less racism. There should be less economic inequality and all these. And we found out like, there weren't a lot of Christians around us who agreed with that. They just thought our job is to get people to heaven and vote for politicians that are against abortion and gay marriage. And that just didn't work for me. And so it's just been that kind of process to where finally I had to step out of leadership of the church. Here came COVID. Here comes Donald Trump. And I'm just like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> There's got to be something bigger and better than this. And so, yes, and so I, that's the process that I started putting out on social media that that got us together here today. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing. And, and say that again, the, uh, the, the measurables should change. Is that what you said? The measure? I love that. I love yeah. that quote. So I, I, I think I, if there's 500 churches in the city of Fresno and we elect Christian mayors and Christian sheriffs and we we celebrate this, we elect Christians and yet by a lot of measures, excuse my language, but our town is shit. I, well, I don't know mm -hmm. if I'm allowed to cuss or not. Uh, yeah, our town is very low in the measurables of well-being. And so I, I'm just like, how can that be true? How can we be so Christian and have so many bad measurables? And uh, and I think that's true a lot of times of red states. So yeah, I think we ought to, I think we are to be transformed, to be transformers of the world, not not just to hope to get people to the sweet by and by one day. Oh my, that that's beautiful and powerful. And yes, you can cuss. I always say there's power in <laughs> the uh, the language and anybody who's gatekeeping it is just reflecting back their patriarchal uh, standards that somehow they compel them to believe that they are the gatekeepers of how we're going to speak. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that. I, I, think, I think some of my language now is just for all of those decades of feeling like I was not allowed to cuss and I just, it's just fun now. It, so I, it absolutely is. And it is freeing. And I think that, you know, I, I get it a lot too, that people say, okay, 
we understand that you hate patriarchy. Get over it. Like, no, you don't understand. If you're feeling that way, then there's a there's something inside you that's feeling that offense that it's time for you to look at what part you're still holding on to because I'm reflecting back to you something that I'm rejecting and you're not happy about it. Like, what? Yeah. Stop talking to me like that. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to look inward. <laughs> You'll get over patriarchy when it changes, right? Exactly. Or it's dismantled, one of the two. And so you mentioned that that was, you know, that 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 awareness of how uh, people had bound their faith to their their racism, their biases and their prejudices and how that you had to really take a, a good hard look at what your belief system, how it had become weaponized. So tell me, and I don't think, I don't think we, you and I have had a lot of conversations and we have never asked each other what we believe. And I think that if I can speak for you, I could, I would say we had a little conversation off the camera was about our commonality is so important. Our humanity is so important that it's more about our mutual respect and love for another because creating those boundaries about how we're going to be in community on what we believe just hasn't worked for humanity up till now. That there's something about serving the highest good that says we come together and then your beliefs and mine can help us serve humanity. But other than that, it should not be weaponized to harm anyone else. But if you're comfortable in explaining, what do you call yourself now besides the unconventional <laughs> pastor? Do you, do you identify as a Christian or what do you, what do you call yourself? So my simple answer is, is no, I don't I don't identify as a Christian, but probably as much for what that word has come to mean in our culture than not believing the religion. I find the Bible to be a beautiful, inspirational book. I love it. I love the Bible. I love the whole story. I think if you really look at it from a 30,000-foot level view— and and I one of the things I've changed is I don't say Old Testament anymore because what I realize is that is us as Christians appropriating Jewish sacred text, there and I go. refuse to do that anymore. So the Hebrew text, yes, we can find really messy things in there, but I still think the thread of the story through there is a spirit of heaven that is bringing a goodness to earth and saying, let's be in partnership together. And and I you know I can explain more about that if you want, but so I love the Bible. But I also have untethered myself from the idea of Bible inerrancy, or that we as evangelicals had found the whole truth of it. And through all of history, we're the ones that have now defined what is all true. It's not arguable anymore. We, we've got it all figured down. John MacArthur is telling us what every word means. And now that I've, I'm untethered from that, I'm really starting to pull jewels and value out of a text that like my Jewish friends would say, the Torah travels with us mm -hmm. in culture and community, not us being tethered to the laws of it, while you guys camp around belief and agreement in belief. And the second you don't have agreement in belief anymore, you separate into 33,000 Protestant denominations. So yeah, so I would say Christ is still my best pathway to my spiritual life. Although I, I'm definitely dabbling and trying a bunch of different things, but maybe it's just because that's how I grew up. I still love the story of Jesus. I still find it to be, I, I think Jesus was, was a badass challenger of the status quo, and that's what I want to be. And so, so I'm a Christian in that I want to look like that story of Christ, 
but I'm not a Christian in this Western belief that we are the one exclusive religion of people that are going to heaven. So I guess, I don't know if that's a long way of saying oh my goodness. yes and no, I identify myself that way. You can talk as much as you want. I love hearing this because these are new, these are new conversations for you and me. Well, and just mm -hmm. for, as a side note, I call myself an unchurched, non-conforming Christian out of stubbornness, okay. totally out of stubbornness, because no one's going to throw me out of the Christian club. I did the work. Hey, I was yeah. baptized twice. Okay. So don't tell me <laughs> that I'm, I'm not. And it's less about what I believe and more about who I am. And actually some of those words I got from, um, well, I like that. a sermon that Dr. Martin Luther King gave in 1954 about what it means to be a, a non-conforming transformed Christian and how even though he beliefs were very much into some of what would be the orthodoxy of the church, he was also saying that that didn't mean that you were compliant to beliefs that had been indoctrinated in it that were spewing hate. Yeah. So I don't talk about my beliefs because I refuse to enter the conversation at the level that you are at. You are often inviting me in, not you personally, right, which right, is right a debate about scripture, which is at this point, like an exhaustive debate where no one can argue that we aren't all cherry picking. We can make the Bible say whatever we want the Bible to say. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. I just choose that it be, that it say that it's goodness. And then it's about human rights over religious beliefs. Those are the verses that I choose to, to uh, live by instead of weaponizing it to justify my bigotry and my homophobia yeah. and my racist beliefs, that, which was part of my religious indoctrination. So sometimes, like I said, is it's usually out of stubbornness that I say that. And I'm the, <laughs> I'm the same way. And I think it does have something to do with indoctrination because I'm fascinated by the story of Jesus, and no one can deny that whatever happened thousands of years ago changed history. It yeah. literally did. Yeah. No matter what, where the story be, started to become political, it it literally changed history. And I want to go back and try to just, like you said, untether from the things that no longer serve my highest good, but still be inspired by the story that was emerging at that time. Yeah. So. I, you know, as I started getting connected with people from other religions, which I was never allowed to do in, in staunch evangelicalism, you know, I sat down with a Islamic imam, and he began to tell me how he loved Jesus, and they see Jesus as a prophet, and, and he was telling me what he loved about the story of Jesus and how he loved that Christianity and Islam and Judaism all came from Abraham. We all come from the same dad, you know, and it just was really fascinating. And then I sat down, I, I met a Buddhist friend, one of one of my other best friends that I've never seen face to face is, is a Buddhist practitioner. And, and he was telling me, yeah, Jesus was the the most enlightened person who ever existed. I love the story of Jesus. And, oh. and he was asking me questions about our, and, and so it just, it, Jesus did not come to earth to start Christianity. He did not come to start the, he was not a Christian. He, he didn't come to start a religion. I'm convinced of it, but to put a way out there that we could be drawn to love of ourselves, that would then help us love our neighbor and allow our neighbor to become that that Samaritan that we didn't think worthy of God's love or worthy of God's favor as we are because we're so good and they're so bad that those people and and Jesus was like, no, those people are the ones you have to learn to love 
So you're going to have to learn this connection with heaven so you can love outside the norm of a human being. You know, anybody will, will give themselves up for their family. But if you'll give yourself up for your enemy, now you're truly displaying that you have a connection to something amazing. Oh and when Christianity becomes selfish and inward looking, that ain't following Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's not following the Jesus I read about at all. So, yeah. You're a good preacher. You're a damn good <laughs> preacher. So honored to have you here. I do want to no, shift gears a little bit and sure. talk about something that you and I both spend, spend some time in our social media platforms talking about, and that is uh, the landscape that's happening in America. Well, you're actually seeing it around the world in, in places where you're seeing authoritarianism rise. And here in America, where it's especially entrenched in Christian nationalism. And how are you feeling about where we are now and what do you think besides the obvious which is voting what do you think the answers are to help america get out from underneath this threat of christian nationalism wow that's a that's a those are heavy one. aren't they yeah yeah it's not something we're going to we, it's not something we got to in a day and it's not something we're going to fix in a day and in some ways uh, my wife has always asked me, well, where's where's the hope? What's the hope? What's the hope today? Because I was always such a hopeful evangelical preacher. But now I'm kind of in a place of like, I, I call myself an optimistic pessimist or a pessimistic optimist, one of the two, um, because I'm I'm not sure it can be fixed. You know, it it's like, I think a lot of us maybe in this this realm were like, okay, great. We, we elected Joe Biden, this guy none of us really love just because we knew the alternate of, of Donald Trump was so awful that we, I, I think it's the first time ever in my life. I used to like, in, in 2016, I voted none of the above. I didn't vote for Secretary Clinton or Donald Trump because I was just like, I can't, I can't put my name with either of these people. But this was the first time of like, I don't care who the Democrats put up. I'm voting for that person because this alternative is so evil. And I, I ran across this years ago, really as I was working out why why am I not so adamantly anti-abortion like all the people around me? Why am I, I, I was pro-gay marriage, even as I was saying I, I wouldn't perform a gay wedding, but I'm against the ban of it. And I think it's in Luke chapter 11, and I may have that reference wrong. I don't have all the Bible memorized yet, but uh, there's this conversation these religious guys are having about Jesus, and he's he's raised Lazarus from the dead. His fame is growing. They're getting concerned, and they they say this interesting thing that I never saw before, and it jumped off on the page one day. And it they said, if Jesus keeps on doing what he's doing, people are going to believe in him, and it's going to cause the Romans to come, and they're going to take our temple and take our country. And it just hit me like, oh my gosh. The religious leaders who Jesus called whitewashed tombs and sons of Satan and all that, they were religious nationalists. They believed the world would be in godly order when Israel was the economic and military power of the world. And the way Israel would be the economic and military power of the world is their race and religion would be in charge of the nation and of its civil code. And so Jesus was a threat to their work to make Israel great again because he was disrupting that belief that, oh, we're better than the Samaritans, we're better than the Romans, we're better than any of the nations around us, and God needs us to be in charge 
of this great holy nation. And it just, does that equate to any other religion that you could think of today? Like, isn't that the evangelical belief of like, God needs America to be the economic and military power of the world. And the only way that happens is if we're a Christian nation. And if we're not a Christian nation, we're going to lose our religion and lose our country. And it's exactly parallels Caiaphas and all the other guys. So I think we've We've bought into something that is anti-Jesus, anti-Christ, I say it. And how do we fix it? I don't know. I think it may take generational overturn for it to be fixed. I, I don't I don't know. All we can do is stand against it right now. And I hear people tell me, well, that's not all of us. That's not all Christians. And I'm like, well, it's what all American Christians are known for now. And you're either for it or you're standing against it or you're complicit to it. And that's all there is. And so I see it as this time of where Jeremiah, you know, and the prophets were saying, no, Israel's too important to God. The Babylonians aren't going to come and take us. You know, we're, we're, we're God's country. We're God's people. And Jeremiah was like, oh, no, you've forgotten the poor, the foreigner, the marginalized, and the economically disadvantaged, the widow. And, and because of that, God is going to let Babylon ransack us. And it's actually God's mercy for that to happen. And, and there's a great passage in Jeremiah 5. Sorry, I'm off on my preaching tangent. Again. No, I love it. Keep uh, going. It's, it says at the end of Jeremiah 5, you know, it talks about how God's people are fat and sleek and, and cheating the widow and doing you know, greedy and all these things. And he says, a, a terrible thing is happening in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the leaders lead out of the words of the prophets and my people like it that way. But what will you do when the end comes? And, and earlier in the passage that God had said, shall I not avenge myself against such a people? And, and so I feel like if we look at history and if we look at biblical history, so either spiritually or historically, a country that goes this direction that we're going, that we need to put religious law into civil code is always coming to its end. And so I think I think we're headed for some cultural, some really rough waters culturally and as a country, probably economically as well. And and I guess if I put it into Jeremiah's term, and that's God's mercy for us. And in the middle of all of that, all of that going on and Jeremiah being this weeping prophet and getting thrown in prison because he's saying the wrong thing. He's not Fox News. He's not these other things. He says, Jeremiah 29, 11, which is a Bible verse more people use as their life verse than any other. I, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. And then Jeremiah writes Lamentations, and in Lamentations, he says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. And so pessimistically optimistic, yeah. I think some hard times are here and are coming, and I'm not sure we can stop it, but maybe that's what needs to happen for us to be able to hand to the millennials and maybe particularly Gen Z and Gen Alpha, like, hey, you guys need to go rebuild this thing. You know, we, we kind of messed it up. So we're going we're gonna to say yes to you and what you guys are bringing. Mm. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know that we can stop it. And I don't know that we're supposed to. You know, Jesus said, see that temple? Not one stone of that thing's going to stand on another. And he didn't say, pray that that doesn't happen. Pray that God relents. He was like, no, this season is coming to an end. And Isaiah 49 says, and then something new springs up in the desert. And, and so I just, I think maybe sort of the death of, of right-wing evangelical Christianity, which we see happening in all of the data points, is maybe what needs to happen for something new and fresh and beautiful. People like you looking for new ways to connect to the goodness of heaven to come. So yeah, that's why I'm pretty pessimistic, but optimistic 
in the midst of that pessimism. Well, that's a beautiful way to say it. And thank you. Thank you for bringing us along on your sermons and giving us ex- giving us so much extra here. And I think I just had a pessimistic, optimistic vision of this burning field and the green that comes after. That That's the only way that new life can come forward. And I think we are in one in those in history. We have had these times where out of horrible tragedy that have been human made, have become Mm. the new dawn of a new era. So as movie-esque as that sounds, it is we who have the choices, but it's also we who fell asleep. And it's almost like that every step of the way. So when people talk about, say things like, well, it's not all of us, it's almost a desperation to please just leave us alone so that we can go back to the life we had and hope, hope is the fallacy here and hope that things are going to be okay because we want to trust the people who are in power that they will do the right thing. But the truth is that some of those who are in power have been complicit to this. They have been in agreement with this, which again, I, not to sound like a broken record, but it lends itself to a patriarchal structure that that says, hey, billionaire Democrat or Republican, it benefits you to be in Congress so you can pay attention to what's happening to your wealth. And also that makes sure that this almost class system that we have stays in place. Because let's Mm -hmm. face it, we've had plenty of time to raise the minimum wage with both Democrat and Republican presidents in power. So it it is a complicit system where you've had a bunch of people being Christians in power that have come to this place where we are having our day of reckoning, you are absolutely, you are absolutely right. And this leads me to my, and I, and here we are now people are going, oh no, sitting in your car going, wow, do I really want to go into Starbucks now? If all of this is happening, go get your Starbucks and come back and finish this podcast. Because if anything, I think right now you and I, and the others that are doing this work are the epitome of why we have hope, but hope is actionable. We're Mm. showing people that there is life and peace and a life of authenticity after deconstruction, but we also need you in that space of staying awake. It's, It's like part of the deconstructing is looking at how we were indoctrinated to be asleep, to be prejudiced, and to be suspicious of anything that wasn't inside our system and how that impacts your life in other ways. So you're in or the way we make sure that we don't stay entrenched in this place where uh, Christian nationalism would like to take us is that those of us who are doing this work are doing it to empower you Mm. to leave this world a better place than we found it and elevate the human condition because I believe it because at my Mm. age, I could just go crochet my grandkids blankets that they would side eye and say, really, she blamed me another blanket instead of doing this work. But I believe it. This is the legacy I want to live. And I know it's the same for you. But it does lead me to the next point. And this is how we'll close this out is I had shared with you that one of my heroes was Bishop John Shelby Spong. And I think each one of us come to our own place of deconstructing. And um, somehow I became I know how I became aware there was an article in our paper about him coming to our town, like, what, who is this person that did this sabbatical and basically completely deconstructed his life? So I snuck off 
almost fearful that I was going to get struck by lightning. And I am entrenched in evangelical Christianity, but I go hear him speak, John mm. Shelby Spong. And afterwards, I still thought I'm going to get po poisoned at the restaurant when I went with my stepdaughter to, to, to kind of <laughs> compare notes on what we just had. Because that's how God works, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> this angry God that's going to happen. But the the book that really changed my life that he had written was Christianity must change or die. And I remember mm. when I saw the title of that book, it hit me in the gut because Christianity was all I knew. At the mm. core of my identity, it was everything. So it was offensive, but yet I could not stay away from it. I had to read it and I hid it. I didn't want anybody else to know because I was still faking it in the pews while I was doing this work. But there is part of me now that truly believes that. I think that what we're also seeing in this right wing extremist thought, like you said, are the death throes of what's happening. But but nothing like this is going to go down without a fight. And I think yeah. they know that. That's why they put up the most ridiculous, outrageous, offensive people in Marjorie Taylor Greene to be the distraction while they're over here trying to manipulate the system politically through the suppression of, of laws for voting rights and gerrymandering districts and the oppression of the LGBTQIA plus community and so on and critical race. And taking theory. over local school boards. Exactly. Uh, I mean, it's, it is really insidious. It, it really has been a long-term plan. And I, I, I mean, I think somewhere in the cosmos out there, Jerry Falwell Sr. is saying, holy shit, that really worked. And worked better than I ever imagined that it would, um, because this has been a a long game that right wing Christianity's been playing. And right now, like I say, they're they're the gerrymandering, and and I see this. They want to take over school boards and essentially destroy public education, knowing that if they can control education through their private schools and government funded private schools, then then the indoctrination can really take place mm. in the country. And so they they passionately hate education. They they passionately hate learning, critical thought, you know, all of those things, which is why somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene is a hero. But sorry, I interrupted your point. No, there, but, and the, the, again, yes, you're absolutely right. It's very insidious and very, very somebody has really thought it out and it's and it's really working, not not working for our benefit at all. Absolutely. And and now I, I do believe that. And you had mentioned that before in your second sermon during this podcast that <laughs> you feel like it's in the death throes. And so we are at the same place. But you also mentioned the people that you turn to during your deconstructing. And I, I'd love for you to share those writers and those one was a mega pastor. So I want to hear how you came to, to know their work and why they spoke to you. Yeah, you know, I really loved what was known as the emergent church movement, even back in, was that in the nineties and, mm -hmm. and, and people like Brian McLaren and, uh, you know, and some of the less known ones like Greg Boyd and, and some of those guys, their, their works really impacted me while, again, I was kind of starting to go through a, a little bit of a political and, and religious shift. And then, you know, and I got to say in the midst of this, I started working with some people from other countries. Uh, I was in a, I was on a, a board of a church network, and and we even hired a couple from Scotland to come and work at our church. So seeing America through the eyes of people from another country really was a huge deconstructive force for me, because you know I just America's the greatest, and you know we do everything. We are the greatest country that ever existed, and 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 here are these British people going, you know I love America, but you're not 
the best thing ever, you know, where there's a lot of good things in Britain. There's a lot of good things in Europe. And, and that was a big part of deconstructing and how they look at religion in a lot of ways. But writers like, like Rob Bell really impacted me. And I resisted reading some of Rob Bell's stuff for a while because it was so controversial. And Franklin Graham called him a heretic and, you know, all this stuff. But I, I have to say, reading Love Wins uh, was a book that that really gave me a context to start thinking, okay, I I may, I can see the Bible from this whole different perspective and understand there are people that love God just as much as I do that see this thing from a very different perspective. And so reading Rachel Held Evans and and more, you know, Brian McLaren's Essential Christianity was a big one for me. And, you know, those those books just really impacted my ability. And then to see that, and then also I was asking the question of why why do I see people getting saved? And then I was in a charismatic heritage. So I see people falling on the floor, having ecstatic experiences, but their life doesn't change. How, how can this not change your life? You, they leave just as messy. So I, I really started delving into sort of emotional, spiritual health at the time. And so even I would say now reading Brene Brown or uh, Patrick Lencioni, who is a business consultant, reading about what really healthy living looks like and looking at the church and saying, boy, we really are unhealthy people and we encourage unhealthiness in our midst. Although I would say that is starting to change. But so yeah, like, like Brene Brown and Patrick Lencioni were two that really changed my view of what a renewed, transformed Christians should look like. So those are those are all ones that have been really important to me. And, and I guess I should say, reading uh, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in sixth grade, C.S. Lewis was also a huge impactor of my beliefs, for sure. Isn't that interesting that you can go back, I call them breadcrumbs. You go back, like at that time, though, you still became an evangelical pastor, but you can go back and see like that, that had impact. I suppressed it, but it had impact. And then you yeah. start to put the pieces to, together and the voice can't be silenced anymore. It, incidentally, we had chosen What is the Bible uh, by Rob Bell and Faith Unraveled by Rachel Held Evans as our book of the month in our Patreon community. So nice. once again, once again, we are aligned. And with that segue, I would love for you to mention the places where you can be found and the work that you do with people and how, if anyone's interested, they could work with you. Uh, and by the way, everybody who asks me, who is just starting on their deconstruction journey, I always say Searching for Sunday by Rachel Held Evans mm -hmm. is like Deconstruction 101. It's such a great book. It and is. Her humbleness and her humility, her humility and her love for the church, even, even as she was leaving it. I just always have loved that book. But yes, my website is pastor-paul.com. You got to get the dash in there because if you go to pastorpaul.com, you're going to this guy that uh, did a lot of really bad things. And don't, but <laughs> pastor-paul.com is my website. And uh, I have curriculum there called Deconstruction You, which is my theological mentorship with people, and Reconstruction You, which is my emotional and spiritual well-being training curriculum. And so, yeah, I'd love people to check it out. And then I'm Unconventional Pastor Paul on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook. And I have a love-hate relationship with that social media every day. But yes, Same. come find me Same. We're almost just on the on the other edge of that where it's like, oh, do I have to do it today? And then I'm all yeah. of a sudden I'm exhilarated because of it. It just goes back and forth all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Pastor Ball, thank you. It has been an honor to be here with you in this space again. I look forward to our continuing our work and collaborations. Stay tuned thank for you. more. Thanks for letting me that. share my sermons. 
Oh, it has been my honor. You can watch the uncut version of today's episode on my YouTube channel, Spirituality Matters with Rev. Carla. Check out my Patreon to access unique opportunities, including bonus content like Q&A sessions and support from a community of spiritual but not religious souls just like yourself. Coming soon, we'll be expanding and adding additional tiers to create a spiritual community like no other. You can always connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and on our websites at RevCarla.com and NumaSoul.com. Okay, beloveds, I'm honored to be in this space with you, and I pray that you receive something I know I did because this teacher teaches what she needs to hear, and today, I believe Pastor Paul did as well. And now, beloveds, go in peace and be at peace. Go in love, and may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you, and you are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved just the way you are. Blessings on your week, and I will see you soon. Bye for now.